It was a cold day. I was on my way to work and running a bit late as usual. My mind was preoccupied with all the things I needed to do when I arrived at work. At the time I was living in New York and like many New Yorkers, I usually had a sixth sense about what was going on around me whenever I was out on the street. So I was surprised to discover that my focus on work prevented me from anticipating that a person in the shadows was about to ask me for money. It was the 1980s and it was a common occurrence then to be approached by someone who wanted money as often as four or five times a day. Truthfully, at that time, I had an overwhelming sense of compassion fatigue and often was ready to say, sorry, not today, and walk hurriedly on. So when the person stepped out of a doorway on that frosty morning, I was not only startled, but I was also unprepared with my usual response to financial requests. At that moment, our eyes met. And I remember thinking that I was looking into the eyes of Christ. It was a remarkable experience that I never had before and never had again. Without thinking, I pulled out money from my coat pocket and gave it to this person, along with the information that there was a fast food restaurant down the street where a cup of coffee and a breakfast biscuit could be found. From time to time, I remember that encounter and I cannot help but wonder why that day was so different. What happened when our eyes met and we saw each other in a way that filled my heart with such deep compassion? What made the defensive shield that I used to keep people at bay lower long enough to allow me to see the face of Christ? And why does it not happen more often? The messages we receive about poverty, homelessness, incarceration, addiction, and hunger are often filled with judgmental characteristics. We distinguish between the deserving and the undeserving poor. We separate those and say from those who did nothing to deserve their situation and those who we think contributed to it. Why should I give money to someone who will only spend it on drugs, alcohol, or cigarettes? Sometimes our response falls into the category of, I barely have enough for me and mine, so I need to keep what I have. Or even, they need to get off their duff and work. Nobody gave me anything. I take care of myself and they should do the same. In addition to this individual judgmental response to people in need, we also have institutional responses that support the notion that some people should receive help and others should not. Congress will spend weeks debating if money should be given to people who are in dire financial straits during a deadly pandemic because we don't want to reward them for not working. Some of our leaders justify being fiscal Darwinists, 
supporting those who are most likely to survive anyway, like big corporations, at the expense of small businesses and individuals who teeter on the precipice of financial disaster. There are no undeserving poor. People who live in poverty, who are without stable housing, and who are not receiving the health and nutritional services they need are having these experiences because collectively we have not addressed disparities and inequities that advantage some while limiting resources for others. I admire the people I know who do not wrestle with whether to give or not. They rise above judgmental constraints and share from their heart. They are compassionate activists who always seek to care for those in need on an individual and on a societal level. They give, they write op-ed pieces, they advocate for others, and they do so tirelessly. They are my sheroes, and I seek to be more like them. When I was younger, I tended to chafe at those scriptures that compelled me to act out of fear of the Lord. It always felt wrong to me to do things because I thought God would be angry with me if I did not do what was asked of me. Giving and doing for others out of fear of eternal damnation is not the spiritual path I want to travel. I want to see the face of Jesus in everyone I serve. For me, the motivation to act must stem from a deep and abiding love for God and not from fear. I know that I have much work to do in this regard. I am not yet in the place where I consistently say yes when God asks me to help someone especially when I feel that my own needs are not being met or when I am tired, overwhelmed, and depressed. Societal messages about the undeserving poor still compete with Jesus's call to care for the sick, the needy, the imprisoned, and the orphan. I know I need the spiritual nourishment found in today's gospel to strengthen my resolve to do better. Many of us are works in progress. We may need to overcome fear and life experiences that make it hard for us to see the face of Jesus in our neighbors. The good news is that Jesus is forgiving, kind, encouraging, and patient. Jesus will meet us where we are and help us to take the next step and the step after that and the step after that. His life was and is a testament to simple living, loving as we go through the day, offering compassion to whomever we meet and offering to serve as we are able. He models for us a new way to live abundantly and we could not serve a better king. I want to close with a thought about COVID and the opportunity it provides for us to imagine anew what it means to love and serve the Lord. 
as many of us heed the advice of health professionals to stay home this holiday season, we may not be able to spend time in person with those who are family and friends. We may not have the feasts, traditions, and plans that we look forward to each year. Yet there is a blessing in this challenge. By staying home, we can protect our health and the health of others. We can create new traditions and offer virtual hospitality to those who are often always alone on the holidays. We can learn to luxuriate in simple pleasures and in the quiet places where we can once again hear the still small voice of God. <laughs> 